You can flip your bulletins back over, and we are in uh, week number four. If, you, if it's your first time here, I was kidding about punching, by the way, unless you let me, then I will, but it's like got real quiet in here all of a sudden. So anyway, we are in week number four of a sermon series called Unsafe Church. If it's your first time here, or you visited to see Scott and Jess's testimony, just so you kind of know what's going on, is for the next 30 minutes, I have a countdown on the back wall. It keeps me honest. I typically go uh, 10 minutes after. And so just so you kind of know, if you turn around, you look at your clock, you kind of know what's going on back there. But, but I'm just going to talk to you out of God's word. And we typically do what we, what we call a sermon series to kind of guide and direct us. In the beginning of every year, we try to do something that kind of readjusts the vision of our church to get us, get us set. We have a new church. Typically at that time, there's a lot of new people that have come. There's some old people that have left. And so as a church at three locations, we want to kind of get our, our mind and our, and our eyes adjusted to what God wants to continue to do uh, through his church. And so the topic has been an unsafe uh, church. For many people, church is something safe. It costs them nothing. It's a weekend club instead of a high calling. And my hope for you is that Satan would not be able to convince you that church is something insignificant in your life, but that he would encourage you, that God's word would encourage you, that, that Satan's voice would be deafened in you, and you would understand that church is something you've been called to for us together at all three campuses to accomplish great things uh, for God's glory. And so we've talked through three different topics, unsafe compassion. Compassion is to feel for somebody to the point where you actually do it. So when we say there's 4.8 million people that don't know Jesus, most church people don't lose any sleep over that, but I want you to. I, I want the burden that God has for them for you to carry it. I, I, want it, I want it to cost you something to the point where some nights you just have to wake up and start praying for, for this world, that, that sometimes you have to sacrifice so that somebody else can get close to God, that you would have compassion. And here's what happens. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you love people. The next week I talked about an unsafe calling. The more you feel for people, the, the easier it will be to answer God's call because it's unsafe in your life. Last week, we talked about a commitment to that calling. And my question was, how many of you at the end of this year, at all three of our campuses, those watching online, how many of you wouldn't be here this time next year? I'm not talking about dying or moving, but how many of you will just kind of waver on your, on your following of Christ? And I said, there's three things that people do. Number one, it's a positional thing where you kind of get out in front of God. Uh, you kind of get away from that. Sometimes you get preoccupied. I see this all the time in relationships and, and, and just different circumstances where you just kind of get preoccupied from God. And then sometimes uh, you just stop making progress. God is asking you to do something and you just kind of keep button heads with God. And, and my point was, is, is until you listen to God and do what he says, you're done growing in your faith. And here's the thing, nobody stays there. You either, you either go closer or you grow away from God. Nobody stays the same. Today I want to talk to you about an unsafe uh, contribution. An unsafe contribution. The, the, the heartbeat of this message, just so you can hear me before I preach, is not one of, of anger or disgust with you. Our church is in a, in a better place than it was this time last year. Every year of our church, we've seen growth. We've seen growth in numbers of people that get baptized. We've seen growth in people respond to the gospel. We've seen growth in people giving. We have more people serving this time this year than we did last year by almost 60%. There's 185 people that serve on a Sunday morning. There's over 400 people that are involved in, in serving in some aspect, I believe. There's a couple hundred people that go to community groups and serve this community uh, as God's kind of arms and feet and to this world. And there's, there's a lot of things that have happened in our church. But, but the question for me is always, God, don't you want to do more? And then I look around and I believe there's all sorts of untapped potential in our campuses. There's people that God has equipped you and called you, but you've yet to move. And what happens in many churches, and the reason many people don't ever move into this, is because we've come up with this, this, this reasoning, this understanding that church is a, is a me thing instead of being a we thing. We, we pick a church based on what it offers me instead of going to a church based on what we can do. We, we pick something where, where it's going to serve our best. Is this, is this the church that my family likes the best? Is this the church that, that we like to preach in the best? Is this the church uh, that we like to sing in the best? Is this the church that we like this? Or some people go, I go to this church because I like to preach in, but I, but I go over to this church because I like to sing in. And sometimes I go to this church because it's closest to us and we get to get lunch before everybody else. And sometimes I come here and church turns into a a me thing, a thing where you come for, for yourself and not a, not a we thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, 
We struggle with this from the moment we're born. How many of you have kids in this place? You don't have to put your hands up, but I know you have kids. At a Limerick Campus Plymouth meeting, you know as soon as you have a kid, they come out with this mentality. Am I right? Like they don't come out going, if I could just be a blessing to my family, I would love to do that. So listen, I'll sleep when you want me to sleep and I'll eat when you want me to eat. And you know, every once in a while I'll go to, to number two in my diaper and go poo poo and if you could just change me, but we'll get on a schedule where, you know, you can sleep, you know, a certain amount of hours. And, you know, I heard somebody over talk, over talking, overheard them talking today about putting their kid in a big girl bed. And if you could just stay in that bed for nine and a half hours tonight. So I'm like, kids don't do that. Every morning about six o'clock at my house, I start hearing this, this, this raptor from, from my kid's bedroom, the, the crib. I have a five-year-old, seven-year-old. They're done with this, thank God. Uh, they've started to figure out that life is not about them, mostly through whippings, right? And so spare the rod, uh, hate the child, right? And so, and talking. And sometimes people will say, your kids are really well behaved. And I'll say, yeah, because I threatened them right before you. And you guys remember that? If you embarrass me, I used to get this talk. My dad was a pastor and we used to get to talk before we went out with missionaries on Sunday night. If you do anything wrong. You better pray for the rapture to happen before we get home. So we would sit there and people say, your kids are well-behaved. No, we weren't well-behaved. We got threatened before we got there. So my kids are, are starting to learn it. But my, my one-year-old, he hasn't figured this out yet. Every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, this is what we hear from his room. It's like an animal's in there. Anybody else have this? It's his signal. Sleep is over for everybody in the house. It's over. Except, except for Saturdays in which we all get up at about seven o'clock and he decides sleeping day for me. You ever notice that with kids? So I'll go in there, I'll put the password back in his mouth. I lie to him and convince him it's not morning yet. It's only six o'clock, supposed to sleep till eight. Put the thing, seven o'clock was around. Ah! You get him, he stands up, he gets his blanket, puts his nook in his mouth, he puts his arms up, pick me up. The message is I can't talk, but you take me downstairs and you feed me breakfast now. Anybody else kids do this? Until you feed him breakfast. Right? You feed him breakfast. When he's done, at some point in the morning, he's going to walk around the house and he's going to do his business in his diaper. After he's done his business, he lets you know with that raptor call, change my, my diaper. And then it's nap time. And then it's lunch time. And then it's play time, which I call destroy time. And then it's nap time again. And then it's dinner time. And then it's destroy time. And then it's bedtime again. And literally the whole day revolves around my 15-month-old. At some point in his life, he needs to figure out that it's not only about you, but that's a lesson he'll learn to come. The truth is, for many people, especially church people, they miss this opportunity to mature in Christ to the point where they understand that there's something much greater to live and be involved in that is beyond just me. I want to show you in the book of Acts, chapter 4, kind of how good it was. How good church can be when it's about the we, and then how bad it can be when it, it turns into the we. And you need to understand, God is ridiculously protective of the we mentality. Because when there's a church filled with we people, that church typically is reaching people far from Christ. When there's a church filled with me people, typically the church is dying. And there's nothing worse to God than a church that Jesus has sacrificed his life for, the bride of Christ dying. There's nothing worse than that. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32 says this, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. You know there's a miracle happening there when everybody is, is happy with each other. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. There were we people. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because there was a bunch of we people. There wasn't a bunch of me people. There wasn't a bunch of problems for them to fix. Talking about the me problems, they were worried about the we it's amazing how much time the church directs and uses energy they use to, to fix problems about the me when there's a bunch of people that are still dying and going to hell. When, when that mentality's gone and it's a we mentality, we're in this together, we're serving together, we're giving together, the beauty that God is able to create in that church is ridiculous. Keeps going, he says this, and God's grace was so powerful, powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. There was food in the house. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is a really unique time in the church. There was no me mentality. It was all about we. In fact, it was so much about we that it was even affecting people's portfolios, their pocketbooks, their money. They were bringing stuff and they were building this church. And the Bible says there was no one in need and there was, there was just a great time of unity in the church. What's so interesting is the very next chapter is one of the scariest chapters in the New Testament. See, we tend to think of God in the, New Te- God in the Old Testament. He, he, sometimes he always loved, but sometimes he, he did drastic stuff. But many times we look at God of the New Testament, we're like, he's kind of soft on sin. We forget to look at the cross and say, he's not soft on sin. Jesus just sacrificed everything for my sin. That he died for everything. But we'll say he's soft on sin and we'll kind of play the game with God. We'll make church about me, never really thinking that this was going to, this is going to offend God. It's his, it's his bride, the Bible says. The church is, is his. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, you need remember, just sold a field. Everybody's excited. He does it with the right heart, right motives. It's not about me. It's all about we. And the Bible says Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. It sounds good. Like the stories continue, the story of generosity. With his, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Still sounds good. Sold some money, sold, some, sold a field for some money, put some aside for God, put some aside for him and his wife to go buy a new camel. They come to, come to church, they bring the money to, to the apostles. It sounds like it's a great story, like they're being generous as well, but listen to what Peter says. Then Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? I'll tell you. Me. When you struggle with the me, you're actually struggling with Satan because if Satan can't kill you, he'll get you to waste your life. If Satan can't convince you to be really bad, he'll get you to be really lazy with what God has given you. It wasn't the fact that Ananias and Sapphira were giving only a part of the land. It was the fact that up to that point, there was this we mentality, and all of a sudden, they started making it about me. They wanted all the accolades. You can just see it. Everybody's going to Barnabas. They even give him a new name. Hey, your name is now Barnabas, son of encouragement. I can't believe you're leading the way in generosity like this, and Ananias and Sapphira are in their house at nighttime, and they go, we want that too. We want everybody to see us too. We want everybody to know about, about me, what I've done. And so they come and they come up with this plan. Here's the money. But the truth is, they still have a bunch of it. Now, what do you think that God does at this? Check this out. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. That's a sobering. Keeps going and says this. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. I mean, can you just see? Sapphira coming in, and here I am. Did y'all see what we did? We sold that piece of property. Can y'all name this wing of this church after us, this pew? Look what we did. We're just like Barnabas. And everybody's looking at her. Everybody has just witnessed her husband passing, and they're like, you came, you need to run keeps going it says about three hours later his wife came in Peter asked her tell me is this the price you and Ananias got for the land yes she said that is the price Peter said to her how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord listen the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also at that moment she fell down and she died why because God is ridiculously concerned with the we mentality of the church when the me shoves their ugly head, and I'm not talking about you personally, I'm just using that word. When the me inside of me shoves my ugly nature, when Satan gets a hold of my life, when my talents become my talents, when my energy and my ability and my time and my money, when they become mine and it's all about me and then church even becomes about me, the unity of the we is, is gone. The power of the church is over. The point of why the church exists is dead. See, my question for you today is if you go to church, if this is your first or second time here, this message is, is mainly about you. Because a church that doesn't have a we mentality is a church that doesn't have its doors open to people like yourself. 
But if I can get us to have a we mentality, I know that our reach, our, our, our power, our ability, that they expand much farther than even where we're at right, right now. So my question for you, church person, you've been here longer than two weeks. This is your, this is your church. Or maybe you're visiting and you've come from another church. My question to you is, are you a consumer or are you allowing God to make you a contributor? An unsafe contribution. I have this little ruler that I want to put up on the screen for you. Because some of you are like, well, how do I know if I'm a consumer or a contributor? How do I know if, uh, where I land? Some of y'all are, are, are going, I'm a 10. You're not a 10. Jesus is the only 10 here. Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. He gave up everything. So he is the ultimate contributor. And nobody in this place is a one because a one is Satan. And we're going to be nicer than that. Would all of us land between two and, and nine? Two and nine. My hope is that everybody in this room would be making their way up the, the ladder towards a nine. That you would, in this message, that if, if you land anywhere between a two and a, and a seven, that you would be making kind of progress or making the steps. Because some of you, you made the commitment last week. You said, I'm going to do something. But this week is about the contribution. This week is you saying, you know what? I'm going to go from where I'm talking about it to when I'm doing something about it. So how do you know where you're at? Well, well two to three is, is pretty easy. You've been here longer than, than two weeks. Uh, and you've been coming and, and you pull up every week into a parking lot that's blacktop that you probably didn't pay for. And you walk past somebody, you get high fives, and you receive some print materials from the church, and you drop your kids off at, at the kids' area where there's, there's 50 or 60 people on our campuses watching your kids for free, and you just assume that your kids are just incredible, and it's their privilege and honor to watch your kids today. And I know you don't really think that. What I think when I drop my kids off is have fun with them for the next hour. <laughs> You drop them off, and you don't even really think about it. You just drop them off, and then after you drop them off on the computer you typed on with the background checks that have been paid for and all that stuff, you come in, and you stop before you even get into the church, and you get a cup of coffee that you didn't pay for. Sometimes you get a free pastry. It depends what week it is and how good your diet's been. And you walk in, and you sit in a chair that you didn't buy, and you listen, and you're kind of just here. You sit in a seat, and it's really just about you. you. You probably land between a two and a three, not yelling at you, just being realistic with you. Like if that's your mentality, if it's about what you get and about what you're coming to and church is a, is a destination for you, not a calling for your life, then you land between a two and a three. For most of us, I think we're a little higher than that, hopefully. Some of you aren't. It's okay. You just embrace it. You circle that. But between four, five, and six, here's how you know you're a four, five, or sixer. It's between four, five, and six, you, you occasionally come to Journey Church. Like you're here, I would say, twice a month. That's an occasional attender. Occasionally, you, you drop a tip into the offering bucket. When it was a good week or when you had enough or when you were good with your budget that week, you occasionally you, you give something to God and you occasionally serve, but sometimes you don't. It just depends what's going on and what year it, part of the year it is. If your kids have sports, if it's summertime, if it's wintertime, if it's springtime, you occasionally serve, you occasionally give to God, you occasionally you know, become part of what's going on. You're kind of an occasional person. You're not a full consumer and you're working your way towards being a contributor. You're making progress, four, five, or six. It's a good, others of you, seven, eight, and nine, I will call you contributors. Seven, eight, and nine are the people that are here pretty much every week where serving is, is not something that you have to do. It's something you get to do. The people that get here early, there's, there's many people that arrive well before even me on a Sunday at this point. Cones that get put up, flags that get hung, coffee that gets brewed. Pastries that get cut up, bathrooms that get scrubbed, signs that get put up, Febreze that gets sprayed. Febreze is magical. Those people are what I would call contributors. They give on a consistent basis. They tithe. They don't give because give is when you take something from somebody and you're giving something to God. Tithe is when you return back to God what's already his. They've bought into what God has called and they trust God and they tithe. They bring the first 10% so God can bless the rest. They pour it into his storehouse, which is the church. And the church, because of that, there's food in the house. And Jess and Scott, that story is not unique. It happens over and over and over again. 
You're, you're what I would call a contributor. My hope is that you would move somewhere today. If you're a two or a three, you would move up one rung. If you're a seven, eight, or nine, maybe God's moving you even more. Maybe he's asking you for even more of a commitment. I'm not sure, but every one of us in this room, we circle something, and we have some commitment uh, to make so that we can make the type of contribution that God wants us to make in his church. Here's what I know for those of you who are struggling with this. We're you're struggling with the consumer mentality. Here's two lies that I think Satan is filling your head with right now. You know, number one is this. Is the happiest people on earth think about themselves first. I think we struggle with that. The happiest people on earth, Satan is filling your life right now. Pastor, I know what he's talking about. The most happy that you are is when you, when you get a lot of likes on your picture on Instagram. Like the most happy that you are is when you buy something new for yourself, when you like get a new pair of clothes or you get a new sneakers or you think about yourself and you make sacrifices in other areas so you can get a new car or you can have a new house or you can get something new. That's the happiest you can possibly be. Satan is filling your head with that. In fact, it's happened all the way down through scriptures. One time, two of Jesus' disciples come to him and they actually get their mom to come to Jesus. Anytime you got to get your mom to come ask Jesus something, you're in trouble. And they say, Mom, go ask Jesus if we can sit on the right hand and left hand of him in his new kingdom. So the mom comes up and she's like, yo, my sons, you see my sons over there? And they're over there. You know, and like, they're like, can my, can my sons, can, can, can they sit on the right hand and left hand in, in your kingdom someday? And Jesus looks at them and he kind of becomes disgusted with them. In the Bible, it says in verse number 42 of, of Mark 10, it says, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles they lord it over you, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Watch this. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, watch this, must become your servant. If you want to be great, sometimes people say, why are you so focused on people serving? Because the heart of this church and the heartbeat of me, your pastor, is one where I want to see greatness dwell from your life. I want to see it flow through your life. And greatness has nothing to do with the platform that you stand on where everybody gets to applaud you. Greatness happens when you decrease and Jesus increases. Greatness happens in our church when it's all about Jesus. It's not even about Scott and Jess today. If you came here to watch them, we tricked you. It's about Jesus. Jesus changed their life. Jesus transformed their future. Jesus is going to give them the marriage supposed to have. It's always about Jesus. If I can get you to understand that. He says, if you want to be great, you have to learn how to serve. And watch this. And whoever wants to be first, watch this, must be the slave at all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give his life for a ransom of many. Jesus didn't just preach this. He practiced it. There's a time in the Bible in John chapter 4 where, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. If you have any misunderstandings of who Jesus has come for, read that story. He talks to a woman at a well that no one else was talking to. They were all talking about. It wasn't good for his reputation. It wasn't good for his earthly ministry. He was talking to this woman. His disciples leave, and it's just him and this woman. And we know she's all alone and isolated because she comes at 12 in the, in the afternoon, which is the hottest time. Women have been doing the same thing for years. They go to the well together. They go to the bathroom together. do everything together, but she's by herself. She's the woman nobody wanted to be around, and Jesus meets her. Jesus transformed life. The Bible says she drops her water jar and she runs back to her town. And the Bible was clear that she becomes a great missionary to that town. She brings her whole town back to Jesus. And the disciples start to question him. And they say this to him. And I, thought, I think it's funny. In John chapter 4, they say, we, meanwhile, his disciples urge him, Rabbi, why don't you eat something? You ever see those commercials? I think they're Twix where like Johnny Manziel is in the yoga thing doing yoga. And they're like, Johnny, eat some of this. Is it a Twix? And he's like, why? Because he says, when you get hungry, you turn into a yoga instructor. I think they're doing, Jesus, you must be hungry. You're losing your mind, bro. Why don't you eat something? Get something in your system. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, he says but he said to them, I have food to eat you don't know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, he says, what feeds me is doing God's will. What gets me up in the morning is knowing that I have a purpose for being here. I think the greatest day of your life is the day you figure out why you're on this earth. I just do. 
The greatest day of your life when when you figure out that you've been placed on this earth for something so much more significant than all the stuff, when you start to realize all the bad that's happened in my life is actually going to be used for good, for God's glory. All the talents that I have, why? Because I am God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, and I've been placed on this earth. It's one of the best days of your life. I think it is the best day. It's the reason that everybody in this room that knows Christ, that has this purpose, wakes up on a Monday morning and we don't need a pill or drugs or something like that to get us through work. It's the reason why we don't live for the weekend, but we live for Jesus. Because we know we were created for something on this earth. I think some of you say, how do I know? Or where do I know where I fit? Or what do I know I'm supposed to do? Because the Bible is clear that we've all been given gifts, talents, and abilities. Some people call them spiritual gifts. In Romans, it lists, I believe, seven. I think there's hundreds more. But it lists stuff like, like encourager, or, or, or prophet, or teacher, or a servant, or, or the giving person, or the mercy. Some of you say, how do I know I have something like that? I heard a great illustration this week from, from my pastor, and I call him my pastor. He doesn't know he's my pastor, but I call him my pastor. Craig Rochelle at Life Church. he preached a very similar message. I steal stuff from him all the time. I'll give him credit when I get to heaven someday. He's preaching a very similar message, and he said, here's how you know what your spiritual gift is. He said, let me give you an illustration. I have a piece of pie, and it's on the table, and I'm eating it, and I get it too close to the edge, and it spills in my lap. He says, the way you respond to that spill tells me what spiritual gift that you have. She said, for instance, if you are a person that when I spill it, you tell me, I told you you were going to spill it, dummy. You're a prophet. I told you. Happened to me today. We were parked way back in the back because we want to be great and be servants and make sure there's parking. There's ice all over the place. And me and my wife get out of the car and we're walking to, to the thing and we're having a a discussion about who's right and who's wrong. You're going to know if you're married that these are very important uh, to your marriage. Whoever wins is the best. And so uh, I've been married for 12 years and I still enjoy winning. And so anyway, we get out and she says, why are we parking back here? I said, we always park back here. We never park back here. We always park back here. You don't know nothing. We're going to ask somebody, what do you want to bet? On the way to walk in church, we're talking about what you want to bet. We're walking in, and, and, and I'm walking, and I have my coffee in one hand, and I got, I'm pushing Harrison in a stroller, and we're walking, and I got my coffee, and we're walking, and there's ice, and she's saying, look, we parked out here, and there's all this ice, and I said, woman, you just walk. Just walk. You'll be fine. And literally, next thing I know, I fell right in front of Jeff Stavarovsky's on the camera, right? All this stuff beeping his horn at me, right? And I knew she has the gift of prophecy because she told you, that's what you get. Prophet. If somebody spills a piece of pie and you jump up and you're like, let me, let me clean it up for you. You know those type of people, they're awesome. Let me clean this for you. Let me give you a rag. Let me make sure it's cleaned up. You have the gift of serving. You're just a servant by, by nature. There's people in our church that I know they had the gift of serving. There was some months ago where the bathroom, the toilet in the bathroom was flooding. It was clogged with, with number two water. It was not clear. And it's flowing underneath, underneath the wall into our lobby in between services. And I'm like, this is a disaster. But I'm a prophet, not the server. So I just walked over that mug. And then I saw all these girls walk up. And they got all these paper towels. And I was thinking, if you guys aren't married, somebody should marry you because you have the gift of being a servant. That is an amazing attribute of any spouse. Trust me. They got down there wiping up. And I'm thinking, we don't pay you enough. Somebody needs to tell you you don't get paid anything to do this right now. Get to serving. If, if I spill the pie and you come up to me and you say, hey, I just want to teach you the Hebrew the word apple and the word pie go deeper maybe you're a teacher like maybe you you enjoy enjoy learning the scriptures the background i think there's there's positives to all that but there's some people they just they're just sick like that if i spill the pie and you jump up and you're like hey hey it's okay it's okay let me tell you about a time when i spilled my pie as well you know those types of friends you're like the worst of worse and worse. You had the worst week you could possibly have. And they're like, it's okay. My week was 10 times worse than yours. The encourager. You're an encourager. Everybody needs an encourager. Trust me. I had somebody tell me when I was walking outside in the parking lot. He said, keep preaching, pastor. It's an encourager. Gets me to want to keep going. There's other people in this place that, that if the pie f- f- falls and you're, you get up and you're I'll buy you a new piece of pie, and I'll buy everybody in this entire room a piece of pie. You're the giver, and you know the church needs more of those. 
If somebody spills a piece of pie and you come up and you put your arm around them and you want to pray with them, you just hurt when they hurt, you're mercy. you have mercy. I have none of that. Some of you don't. You're like, I don't have any mercy. But some people do. They're just so merciful. They, they feel what other people feel. I'm not sure where you're at, but I can promise you that God has given you a gift and talent for his glory. Listen, we don't serve in this place. Some of you are like, oh, I got to start serving. Oh, my gosh. You don't serve to get God to love you. You don't serve for the salvation process. You don't serve so that God will take you into heaven. You were created for good works, though. You were, you were saved for good works. Since the, since the foundation of the world, God has predestined you to be here in this church at this time to accomplish great things for his glory in the Philadelphia area and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The greatest day of your life is when you will figure out why you're on this earth. So my challenge to you today is, I didn't tell you earlier, but you could take out your phones right now. If you have a phone in this place, I'm going to encourage you, for maybe the only time in the history of this church, take out your phone. Unless you're reading your Bible on your phone, and I know what color your Bible is. I see the white glimmer on your face and the blue. That's not the Bible app. That's Facebook. <laughs> Bible app's black. Take your phones out right now. If you don't have a, a smartphone where you can text or, or anything like that where you can't do this, there's also a spot on your, on your paper on your bulletin, which just says, I want to sign up to serve. And I think many times we, 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 we preach this and then we say, okay, if you want to sign up to serve, at the end of the day, go to the what's next table. And everybody in this room, a lot of people are like, okay, I'll sign up, but there's not a crowd. And meanwhile, you walk out of the room with 100 people or 200 people in the room and you're like, nope, there's a crowd, I'll do it next week. It's Satan. Satan trying to keep you from doing what God wants you to do with your life, trying to keep you from moving forward, trying to keep you in, in, in a lackadaisical, mediocre life. He wants greatness. God wants greatness for your life. Great people serve people. So there's this, this right here. Right now, you can do it. It says text, and then to the number is 25827, and, and then in the, the spot where you're putting the message, just put serve journey, J-R-N-Y. It's not junior New York. It's journey. Serve, S-E-R-V-E, journey. And right now, for those of you who don't serve anywhere, what's happening is you're going on your phone and you're sending a text and it's going to Sheila right now and her phone is blowing up right now. My prayer is all over this, this, this church that people are, are texting and what's happening is, is tomorrow she's going to call you, Tuesday she's going to call you and we're going to say, hey, you made the commitment to serve and we're going to do everything we can to figure out where your gift is at and to place you there. Maybe you love kids, we're going to place you in journey kids. Maybe you love to high five. You can pretty much work anywhere you want in this church. Maybe you like to park cars. Maybe you like walkie-talkies. Maybe that's like a double bonus. You could be a parking lot attendant. Maybe you like to push buttons. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can, you can dance. Maybe you can push, push the buttons on the back of the computer. Maybe you can run sound. I'm not sure, but, but this is your next step. For, for you to move up the line, you're becoming a, a contributor by giving. Number two, Lai, as we, as we move through this and get ready to close as you continue to do that, is the happiest people spend on themselves first. The happiest people think about themselves first. The happiest people spend on themselves first. The next big thing to being a contributor at your church, if this is your church, is to start allowing God to take your belief from your head to your literal little wallet that you have, the money that you have. You'll learn a lot about yourself if you open up your wallet today and look at where your money goes. Jesus was very clear. He says, where you're... Your treasure is that your heart is also. And I, we don't talk about money often in this church, a designated thing. We take up an offering every week and we give people a chance to give. But it's not because I'm embarrassed about it. I know that many people say stuff like the church is only about your money. But if they really thought about what they were saying, they would understand that everybody is only about your money. The Eagles tickets, the Eagles are only about your money. You think that they want you there so that... You can root for them. They want you there so that you can pay for their Lexus. The cable company that you give money, you think they're doing something for you, they are taking from you. The restaurant you go to, they're taking. They're making a profit off of you. The hospital that you drive by that you have to go to, they're taking from you. That's the business. Everybody is after your money. The church truthfully and us are after your heart. Your heart. Because most people think, and they believe this lie, if I give to myself first, I'll be the happiest. If I have certain things, I'll have a happy life. And the truth is, it's a lie. 
That the happiest people on earth, in the words of Christ, that they realize that it is more blessed, and the word blessed in Greek means happy, that you'll be more happy when you learn how to be a giving person than you do being somebody who takes. So my next, my next step of contribution for you as we get ready to close is to challenge you a little bit with, with your money. I think some of you in this place, as soon as I talk about money, uh, at all three of our campuses, you, you don't get mad at me. You just feel bad, and you shouldn't. The good thing about God and your money is I don't think he's going to kill you today. I don't know, but I don't think. That he's actually given you an opportunity. That there's actually a privilege and an opportunity in being released from the way that most people handle money. Think about it. Here's what most of you are saying in your head. You're not mad at God. You're just going, I don't have enough, God. I don't have enough. You say stuff like this. When I get out of debt, then I'll give. When I, when I get my house paid off, when my kids get out of college, when I get a better job, then I'll, then I'll give. Some of you say stuff like this. If I would just hit the lottery. You ever had that with God? God, if you just let me be rich... God, I would give. And the truth is, if you listen to that statement, you've already hit the lottery. You live in America. Somebody just went in their head, America, America's not good. Barack Obama ruined America. (laughs) Can I be honest with you? On any day, you still live in the greatest country in this world with opportunity to be whatever you want to be. Hard work still gets you places in America. doesn't get you other places. And the truth is, you can argue with me and say it's not the greatest country in the world, and that's fine. But the facts are, if you make more than $2 a day, you make more than 50% of this world. $2. If you have a car, if you drive your car into a, a house, we call it a garage. For many of you, you can't drive your car into a garage because you have so much extra stuff that doesn't fit into your house, in your garage. Some of you have gone even farther. You have a house that you pay every month, a mortgage for your extra stuff. It's called a storage unit. If you have more than one pair of shoes, if you go into your refrigerator, you open it up and you say something like this, there's nothing in here to eat. You ever say that to your mom? Mom! That's a rude awakening when you get out of your mom's house and you realize, I got to pay for all this stuff. Now it's my kids. Nothing in here to eat. Boy, you're going to get a job. I'm seven. I don't care. Those little kids work all over the world. You're going to work, boy. You go in, go into your closet, all these clothes, all these clothes, right? Like, like more than one pair of, of, of pants and more than one pair of shoes and more than one shirt. And you go in and you got all these clothes and you're like, I got nothing to wear today. God's going, really? After church today, you're going to go to a restaurant. You're going to sit down. You're going to open up a menu and you're going to order and somebody's going to cook your food for you and then clean it up for the glory of God. Listen, you're rich. You're rich. The problem is, for most of us, we're running after a moving target. If you make $30,000, typically most people will say, I'll be rich when I make $50,000. If I were to ask people in this room, hey, you make $50,000, you feel rich, ain't nobody putting their hand up. They're going, no, $75,000. There's many people in this room, you make $75,000. If I say, are you rich? You say, no, I got kids, I got a mortgage, I got all this other stuff. I'm not rich, I'm broke. If I made $150,000... There's somebody in this place that makes $150,000. I'm not sure who you are. If you want to come talk to me afterwards, that'd be great. But you're saying, I don't, I'm not rich. Rich is a moving target. If your mentality is always, I don't have enough. I'm never going to have enough. I can't give. Let me tell you something. You'll always be stuck in this cycle. The book of Malachi says this about you. It says that you're cursed. You're cursed. Not in like a spooky way where God's going, you're cursed. You are cursed because of yourself give you an example this week I bought a a breakfast burrito at Wawa on the way to work I'm rich right and on the breakfast on the little computer I typed it in and and for once I put jalapenos I don't know why but I did and I started taking bites of this thing and you can't see in it because it's a breakfast burrito and I take a bite and in my mouth is three jalapenos at one time that's wrong that's hell right there and I bite it and literally my mouth starts to water and my lips start to, to like swell and I'm like crying, right? And in my head, I thought to myself, well, I paid for this. This was $2.99. This is my first bite. I'm going to keep eating this thing. I was like, how many jalapenos could this girl put in this? I took another bite, three more jalapenos. 
I took another bite. There was another jalapeno all the way down to the end. I ate the whole thing. I probably ate 16 or 17 jalapenos. I was in pain. I was cursed. My lips burned for hours. That's you with money. God's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you. The truth is, for those of us that tithe, that's what I'm talking to you about today, not giving. Giving is when you bring something to God that's not already his. Tithing is when you bring to God what's already his. When you bring to God the first 10%, the truth is, he blesses the other 90. He stretches the other 90. You can talk to people in this church that they tithe and they'll tell you, I don't know how it happens, but God blesses the other 90. The greatest lesson I ever learned was long before I was a pastor. It was from my dad who was a pastor. And he said, no matter where you go and no matter what you do, always put God first in your finances. So when I was working as a janitor as a church in, in college at the age of 22, and I was making $150 a week, a week and $15 would be my tithe if you were a math whiz. I remember calling my dad and thinking about it, and he said, just keep tithing. I remember thinking, they don't need $15. And he said, it's not about them, it's about you. My first job was a lot more money because it was a full-time job, $30,000. And I remember thinking to myself, it's really hard to take $250 off the top when I have bills and, and apartments and weddings and stuff like that. But, but it's so much easier now that I started with 15 to put God first now. And I can tell you, I have never regretted one day in my life where I put God first with my finances. It's a test. It's a test. Will you trust me? Or you trust? And here's how I want you to look at it as we get ready to close. It's not God taking something from you. It's God offering something to you. Here's what he's offering. He's offering you, as you become a contributor, an internship and the greatest move this world has ever known. Think about this as we get ready to close. Is there a business that exists that's been around for 2,000 years? Especially a business that's had so many ups and downs. I mean, they, they, they was, the, the church went through the dark ages, the church went through the crusades, the church went through all these, these, th- these things that the church did. That probably wasn't the best of the church too, but it still exists. The church outlived the Roman Empire and any other empire that's come. The church is going to outlive America. The church. And God offers you an internship in that program. Some of you know what that is because you're graduating college and you're hoping to get on with a good company. This is the greatest company the world has ever known. The church is the hope of the world and you've been called to be a part of it you have a chance to be a part of it you have a chance to use your money you have a chance to use your talents you have a chance to use your time and I can promise you the greatest day of your life is the day you realize that God put you on this earth and you weren't an accident so right now on the screen the next challenge is for many of you you already surf you already do that but the next one is to tithe if you could put that up right there for me last year we rolled out something called the 90 day tithe challenge it's simple. Some of you did it. Some of you stopped. Some of you want to try it again. Some of you need to try it. The 90-day tithe challenge is simple. In Malachi, God has a promise. Every one of his promises is attached to obedience. The step of obedience is put me first in your tithe. And the promise is I'll open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you. Not so that you can have a more comfortable life. But when I can trust you with little, I'm going to entrust you with more. Why? Because you're helping me to build my kingdom, not your kingdom. So for many of you, you need to take the 90-day tithe challenge. And basically what that is, is you're just going to text tithe to J-R-N-Y, same number, 25827. And you're basically going to get a covenant, not a contract, because if you stop 30 days into it, we're not going to call you up and yell at you. But I believe in tithing. I've seen what it's done. And I believe there's many people, this is your next step. And it's something I promise you that God will bless you for. Not in a ease of life and not making everything go right, but God will be in control of everything in your life. It's such a great step. And what's going to happen is for 90 days, you're going to put God first in your finances. Maybe you sign up for recurring giving online. Maybe you get paid in cash. You're going to put it in an envelope, and we're going to document it. And at the end of 90 days, if God hasn't done what he said he was going to do, not what I said he was going to do, but what he said he was going to do, we'll refund you everything. Everything. Not based on me but based on God's word. So for some of you right now, that's a big step because money's hard for you. Money's security to some of you. Money's happiness. Money's a great blessing. It's a horrible God. I can promise you, it's a great blessing. It's a horrible God, a horrible God. It will let you down. So right now, maybe if you're a single person, you're a retired person, you're on a fixed income, you, you are a person who's in the middle of a great financial season of your life, right now, you're going, you know what? No, my happiness is gonna be found in God and you're gonna just take the 90-day tithe 
challenge at all three of our campuses. You're to send in a text right now. I'm not sure what you need to do. Some of you need to tie. Some of you need to serve. Some of you need to do both. Some of you, it's as simple as, you know what, I'm just going to start coming to church every week. I'm not even to the point where I'm going to serve, but I can promise you that your next step really quickly is going to be get involved. But my hope is not that you would hear me angry with you, because I don't want that. My hope is you would he- hear me as a loving coach saying, move, move closer to what God has for you and farther away from what Satan wants for you. He wants you to waste this life. Would you stand up with me all over our church campuses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? Our campus passes are making the way to the front. Maybe, maybe you haven't been in church before. Or maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. Or maybe you thought certain things about a church. Here, the heartbeat of this message is not for something from you. The heartbeat is for something for you. If you are moving from consumer to contributor, it's for, for you to move into what God has for you. But ultimately, the reason we even do a message like this is so that we as a church can do a better job of reaching one, and that might be you. Can I just tell you how God feels about you at both of our campuses right now, at all three of our campuses? Because I think some pe- some pe- sometimes people don't know. Luke 15 says that God is your shepherd. That means you're a sheep. You need a shepherd. And God talks about how good of a shepherd that he is, how much of his love is. And he says the good shepherd will have a hundred sheep, And at the end of the day, we'll have 99 accounted for, but one will still be missing. If you don't have a relationship with God, you are unaccounted for right now. You are missing. You are separated. How you know you have a relationship with God? You've asked Jesus into your life. You believe that he died for your sins in your place, that when you were at rock bottom, that he was the bottom, and that you could never reach up to God, but he reached down to you. That's the message that we preach, that I didn't get to God. Trust me. I wanted nothing to do with God. I ran from God. I wanted nothing to do with the church, but Jesus changed my life on the steps of the Hershey Arena when I was 18 years old. And I feel privileged and honored to stand up here every week and tell you the same thing that I heard Jesus tell me. I have a purpose. I have a plan. I have a future for, for you. Would you stop running? And would you allow me to be your Savior, your Lord? And I reached back to him. And I, I can tell you like it was yesterday. He changed me. He saved me. He redeemed me. He renewed me. Where I was dead, he made me alive. Where I was angry, He gave me forgiveness. I could see where my life would have been without him, and I know where my life is because of him. And that's the only reason we preach. That's the only reason we do what we do. Every penny that comes into this house, to our campuses, is given so that we could open up our door and tell you about the good shepherd, that you are the one, that you have wandered away from God, that you have run from God, that you are angry with God, but the good shepherd leaves everything and comes to you. And he is here for you right now. You're not here by accident. This isn't a mistake that you showed up, young, old. No matter what season of life you're in, God brought you right here to this moment. He worked through the music. He worked through the testimony. He's worked through his word. Maybe you don't even understand everything about God, but you can feel him knocking at the door of your heart. The gospel is that he left everything to come to you, that God stepped out of heaven, that Jesus came to this earth. And when he was 33, he hung on a Roman cross in your place. He died for your sins. He was taken off that cross. And everybody thought it was over. And I love that because there's people in this room that you've been told it's over. You've been told your life is never going to get better. You're just going to be who you are. You're destined for failure. That's not what the gospel says. That your heart is still beating. That God still has a significant plan for your life. And even the worst things that you brought to him will be used for his good. Just like Scott and Jess's life. Your greatest mess will be turned into his greatest message. Your testimony will be established through all the testing that you've gone through in this life. And he loves you. And he has never given up on you. And he set this meeting up right here in this moment so that you could experience his love. And the Bible says that if you would confess with your mouth, just like you talk to a friend, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need a relationship with you. I'm young. I need, I'm old. I need a relationship. I need you, Jesus. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was rose and risen from the dead three days later. He stepped out of that tomb. Death could not hold him down. The message is clear. He's not done with you yet. It's not over. I haven't heard any bell. 
God still has a significant plan for you if you would just yield your life to him. So if nobody looking around right now in this moment, every penny that's been given has been done and given. Every person who served, every music, musical instrument that's been played, every word that's been spoken from this pulpit has been done so that at this moment, you would have a chance to respond to Jesus. Jesus, I need you to be the Lord of my life right now. I'm not done yet. My life's not over yet. I believe what the gospel says. This is my chance to have a real relationship with you, my creator. I'm not here by accident. I believe you died for my sins in my place and you rose from the dead, Jesus. Right now, if that's you in this place, just quickly shoot your hand up real high and say, you know what, today is the day I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see a hand back here. I see a hand right here. Does anybody else say, Pastor, that's me? I see another hand over here at our other campuses. Just shoot your hand up so that your campus pastor could see you right now. In the middle and on my left, is there anybody who would say, Pastor, that's me. That's me right now. I need a relationship with Jesus. That's why I'm here right now. I'm not going to walk away one more day without hope. I'm not going to walk away one more day without pain, without with the shame I'm carrying. The Bible says, come to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Is there anybody else in this moment who say, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus. If my life ended right now, I'd be separated from him. I don't remember the moment where I made a commitment to him. I see you right here on my left. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. I think there's a couple more people in my midst and at our other campuses that say, you know what, I'm going to stop thinking about it. Today, the commitment I need to make is a commitment to my Heavenly Father. That's my commitment. I need to ask him to be the Lord of my life. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, uh, that's me right now. Or other campuses just say, that's me, that's me. Church, would you pray? If you know Jesus, would you pray for these people? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. I thank you that you brought each one of these people into this church right now. And you've spoken directly to who they are. Father, you are the answer to every issue in our life. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the shame, all the hopelessness, all the baggage that we have. Jesus, it's you. It's always you. So I thank you that no matter what anybody brought into this place, no matter what pain and past issue they brought, Lord, that you begin right now just to become their answer, Lord. That you died the death that each one of us should have died on that Roman cross. That the end of your life should have been the end of our life, but on the third day you rose from the dead and the message is that it's not over. It's not over. That there's so much more you want to accomplish in and through our lives. There's people in this place that at both of our other campuses that they come with all sorts of baggage. Their life feels like a mess, Lord. But right now, as you save them and change them, their life that was once a mess now becomes a message for your glory. That we're not saved by ourselves so that we can boast, but we're saved by your grace. It's only about you, Jesus. You are the star of the show. You are the hope of this world. And I thank you, Lord, as people are taking that step. They're just confessing with their mouth. They're believing in their heart. I thank you. There's many other in this place that they're beginning to take their faith seriously, that they're taking the steps of being a contributor. And it's going to be the greatest day of their life. It's going to be a monumental day right now, February 8th, as they look back after many years and they say, this is the day. This is the day that I took my steps of faith. This is the day that I grew closer to God. This is the day that Jesus began to work in and through my life. This is the day. This is the day he got a control of my money. This is the day. I'm going to thank you in advance that we're going to be able to look back to this day. It's going to be a day of remembrance, Lord. It's going to be a day of celebration. Jesus, we love you. And as always, we thank you for being here. Nothing good happens at our church without your presence, Lord. So we thank you for doing what only you could do, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, would you clap with me all over this house and on other campuses?